everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the end of week of January 6th through January 13th. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and I'm joined as always by Alex Plant. Plant Mebo. And Ben Moreau. It is way too late for this. Uh, um, this week, you know, we're coming off of January 13th. I'm sorry we had to push back a day. My internet's been awful lately, but um, but we're here now, and we've got a lot of great news for you this week. We've got a bunch of stuff on Pokemon. There's huge, huge news there. We've got uh, Mother 3 movement again. We've got, uh, we've got a new Amiibo game that's coming out, so we'll be talking about all that, of course, in the news segment, and then after the break, discussion segment this week is Mystery House Round 2. We've got a bunch of great listener questions from you guys, so we're going to be talking about those, answering them. It's, you know, some great subjects, and we're really excited to check them out. But uh, pretty quick before we get into the Meteor news, a story went around a lot of sites last week that said NX will be revealed in June before launching during the holiday season this year. But hold on, brakes on the hype train. This has just been blown way out of proportion. It was not a report like many outlets were saying. It was actually just a prediction from a Japanese analyst. And, you know, it wasn't insider information. Yeah, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is pretty much the exact timetable we see and we've said similar things in this podcast and it just makes sense because supposedly the dev kits have already gone out and e3 is in june so you know showing the console off in june and releasing it in november just makes perfect sense with what we you know believe we know so far yeah totally yeah and we've said this before but unless nintendo somehow turns around 2016 and makes it this like awesome year for both 3ds and wii u i just don't see them not announcing the new platform and launching it this year yeah and if they were going to turn it around, then we would have heard about games that are going to turn it around. You know, it wouldn't be the Zelda game that was supposed to come we out in 2014. We wouldn't have to wait till E3. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's dig into some Pokemon news here, since it is definitely the big subject for this week. 2016 marks the 20th anniversary for the Pokemon series, and Game Freak is already going crazy hard promoting it. They released a trailer with some of their plans in store, but one of the cooler things we learned from that is that they're actually going to distribute every single event-only Pokemon over the course of this year, including Mew, uh, Arceus, Jirachi, and more. Mew, that's especially awesome to me just because of how rare Mew has been in the West. Yeah, come to think of it, wasn't the last time they did anything with Mew, like, Emerald version? Maybe. I know know it's been quite a while, and... You know, there's been a lot of like Mew events in Japan over the years, but they a lot most of them just never came to the West. Mm, I see. Yeah. So, meanwhile, though, the Pokemon Company has bought an ad in this year's Super Bowl, which is a huge statement. Uh, first time ever for Pokemon. That's a ton of money. It's an enormous audience, like a hundred million people. Uh, they are really pulling out the big guns here. So, what do we think it is? Is it Pokemon Go? Yeah, that, that's exactly what I think it is. Like you said, yeah. it's, it's a ton of money. I think last year it was about $4.5 million just to run a 30-second commercial in the Super Bowl once. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's probably going to be at least that much, if not more, this year. This could be, you know, as much as like a $5 million, you know, one-time drop for them. So, But like you said, you know, uh, over 100 million people are usually, are usually watching the Super Bowl live. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I think... If, if there's a game you're going to show off here, it's it's Pokemon Go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think if you look at all the other sort of like single products that are coming out soon, you have, you know, the hardware bundles, which I think we'll talk about in a second yeah. for, for the Pokemon retro games. You have the Pokemon retro games themselves and you have Pokemon Tournament. Uh, maybe Pokemon Tournament would be appropriate because this is a competitive event and that's a competitive game. But Maybe, but Bandai Namco is developing a Pokeball game where you throw Pokeballs in arcades in real life. <laughs> you think that's it, buddy? Can we hope? <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and guess that's unlikely. You know, it's interesting that you bring up Pokemon Tournament because timetable-wise, that would make sense since it's 
probably coming in March and the Super Bowl's in February, but mm-hmm. I just don't see that game being a big enough seller since it's going to come, you know, to Wii U, which is a low selling right. platform, that it would justify a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't think it's particularly uh, likely either. It would just be sort of a, a, a nice fit. I mean, they're not going to spend mm-hmm. the money like we've been saying. Pokemon Go right. certainly is the the property to spend $4 million on. Right. Well, I mean, we saw it basically broke the internet when just the trailer launched. So, you know, that's those are the Pokemon fans showing the rest of the world what a big deal this was. And now, I mean, I think a lot of people responded really well to that ad, you know, even who do not follow Pokemon. I saw a ton of people who maybe had only played red or blue, maybe gold or silver, but would have never struck me as people who would like playing Pokemon, talking about this, sharing it on Facebook, and, you know, saying, I'm so excited for Pokemon Go. And so I think that they can really tap into a much more widespread audience there. And, you know, the potential is all there to make this a massive mainstream success. So, of course, what other product besides Pokemon Go for the Super Bowl? Right, and, you know, the Super Bowl, it's it's simulcast in, like, over 100 different countries as well. So, you know... Uh, Whereas Pokemon in general might have a, a stronger weak presence in different countries, uh, smartphones are basically everywhere at this point. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're gonna want to broadcast a game to everyone in the world, I think the smartphone game is the smart way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the only other thing that I could see being monumental enough is just the 20th anniversary as a whole. But that's something that's so huge and diverse that there's just no way they can cram it all into a Super Bowl ad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they might be able to do, like, a splash spot and talk about, you know, hey, the movies, games, cards, everything's that, getting awesome stuff, and then, you know, just kind of like hide the Super content. Super Bowl appropriate, Super, though. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, something like Niantic made with that Pokemon Go ad, that's what people want to watch at Super Bowls. Super Bowls are the right. top quality commercials. They're not Nintendo's YouTube videos. Right. Which are, by the way, not super top quality YouTube videos. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, Alex, you mentioned Japan is uh, getting some awesome retro-inspired 2DS consoles in celebration of that Generation 1 re-release. And it looks like those 2DS consoles are coming to Europe as well. So you European fans can enjoy the GBC-style clear-colored plastic and an assortment of stickers that come with the bundle. Uh, And obviously the Pokemon games, too. Uh, North America, meanwhile, is getting a new Nintendo 3DS that comes with both red and blue pre-installed and custom faceplates repping each version. Uh, That bundle went up for pre-order on GameStop yesterday, but they sold out in just a few hours, so you'll have to cross your fingers that you can get one in store. I think it's wild that it comes with both red and blue pre-installed. Isn't that so cool? Because it seems kind of ridiculous given that i don't think you will you'll be able to trade with yourself well it seems counterintuitive to you know that idea that pokemon is about trading and battling and connecting with specifically the other version but i mean there are so many people who buy both games and play through both games anyway just because yeah like i did that all the time and if you have another friend that has both you know has the new 3ds with both red and blue then obviously you can just swap between the versions so yeah yeah so it is a little weird yeah but i don't it's not shocking to me i definitely see why people might get one that has both or get both games anyway well it, it works it's a good move for nintendo because it's less logistics on their end so good move so colin lex you guys are gonna be my rivals right i'm gonna get pokemon yellow and we're just gonna like meet up and battle once a of week. of course exactly i'll call you up and tell you about the rattata i almost caught or <laughs> the hoot hoot i almost caught and that my top percentage rattata no 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 this is gen one they don't have cell phones yet <laughs> oh my bad So our last strictly Pokemon-related story is that Mewtwo, Braxian, and Garchomp are all going to be playable in Pokémon Tournament when it comes to Wii U. Uh, 
We don't really have a lot to look at besides a low-res scan, but for now we know these guys will be playable, and assuming that Nintendo didn't change any plans without telling anyone, uh, they're still expected to announce a new playable fighter and new support Pokemon tomorrow, the 15th, Friday. Yeah, this roster is getting surprisingly full. Yeah. I, I never thought it'd be this big. I mean, I know it's a fighting game, and fighting games tend to have big rosters. That tends to be their thing, but... Uh, you know, the first fighting game, yeah. This is it's, it's getting really fleshed out, and I'm really enjoying that. Yeah. I'd like to see a little bit more diversity in the, like, types and Pokemon that are represented. Because, um, you know, this is how many starters now and at least three fire types now. Um, Lots of bipedal Pokemon, too. I, I'd like yeah. more. Yeah, uh, Suicune was a nice change of pace, but other than that, there wasn't much. Like, Jigglypuff and Meowth, I, where are they? Yeah. Those are the two really shocking omissions to me, but otherwise, you know, yeah, there are characters like uh, Greninja and stuff that seem like strange absences. I've seen a lot of people calling for uh, Hitmonchan and Hitmonlee. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, and Hitmontop would be top. really cool. Yeah, that's right. B- but yeah, there are some some characters that seem like great fits that hopefully will make it. But uh, I don't know. The, the characters represented in this roster kind of hit and miss for me. Yeah, maybe for the sequel. Yeah. So finally, we've actually got a new core genre Pokemon game available right now, but it's not made by Nintendo. It's got nothing to do with the Pokemon company. It's a new mobile game based on the show Rick and Morty. (laughs) It's called Pocket Mortys. Uh, It's available now, and instead of Pokemon, you encounter over 50 different versions of Morty. There's stuff like Old Morty, Spooky Morty, and even Triple Morty, because, you know, you have to have a Doug Trio joke. (laughs) You can check out that full roster of Mortys at Gamnesia, but... Uh, the game apparently is actually not very good. It only got a 5.5 from IGN, for example. Uh, but Ben, I trust you've tried it out by now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I've got mixed feelings on it. I'm definitely enjoying it, but I, I would agree that the just the core minute-to-minute gameplay is kind of repetitive and not very deep. But mm-hmm. I mean, it, it looks really good. I enjoy the graphics. It's got lots of song or uh, like music from the show and it sounds great. And there's, you know, lots of characters and, you know, fun dialogue and things like that. But uh, the, the battles are a little bland and repetitive. Mm-hmm. And the items are just ridiculously scarce. Like they're, they're equivalent of Pokeballs that you need to catch the Mortys, for example. Like mm. I, I've been playing for a while and I have six Mortys on my team. No, not more than I think I have like eight Mortys, but I only caught one of them. The rest, I, I just broke down and actually paid money in a mobile game, which is oh, something I've never done before. Mm. Uh, but I didn't have to pay a lot. I, I made a one-time purchase of like four bucks. How much? At the, like, what's that? Oh, I was gonna say, how much is a Morty? Oh uh, well, you don't you don't buy an individual Morty. You buy uh, like coupons to use at a Blitz and Chips arcade station, and then and you at, can buy Mortys there. Like well, oh, like Porygon. Yeah, every well, what it is is every time you spend one ticket, you get like a little collection of items. You get four items and a Morty. Okay, so you bought that like a couple times. Yeah, well, I, I bought okay. a, I bought a, I spent four bucks and got a five pack of tickets. So that got me like twenty okay. items and five Mortys. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, and then you know after that it was it was fairly fun. But early on, if you don't spend money, there's just like almost no items, and you can't really catch any of the wild mm-hmm. Mortys you see because you don't have the you know Pokeball equivalent. That's item, too bad. So and I guess you can buy them later when you get enough badges, but they're really expensive and money's kind of scarce. So mm-hmm. I'm yeah. gonna keep playing it. I'm enjoying it, but it's the the core gameplay is definitely pretty mediocre. 
Well, there we, that is all we have for Pokemon this week. A uh, little bit of a longer subject than usual, but we do have a few other subjects this week that lean on the bigger side, so we'll take a quick moment to cool down here with some smaller stories. Uh, the numbers for 2015 are in, and Nintendo dominated in Japan, both for hardware and for software. 3DS was the top-selling system in Japan at nearly 2.2 million units sold, and the top 10 games for the year were all Nintendo exclusive. As we always tell you with Japan's sales, you know, while this is good news for Nintendo, don't get too carried away about what it means. Japan's gaming market is in the toilet right now, so Nintendo's pretty much the only company left. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the Western, or rather the Japanese equivalent of Nintendo announcing that they sold more hardware this year than last in the West when, you know, they're not selling hardware at any reasonable volume. Yeah, I believe last year was was the worst uh, year for the Japanese market in about a decade. So, But, you know, Nintendo, they, they got a little bit of a spark from a uh, new 3DS, but that was mostly last year in Japan because it came, or uh, two years ago, I should say, because it came out uh, like October of 2014, I believe. So the new 3DS hype had already kind of uh, died down by the time 2015 rolled around in Japan, at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, 3DS was still easily the top selling piece of hardware. Like it beat out PlayStation 4 by about a million. But, you know, at 2.2 million, that's that's still much lower than they would have liked. The Nintendo World Store is closing down for major renovations on January 19th. The store will be closed for a month. And when it reopens, it'll have a sleek new design and a new name. Nintendo and why? Uh, before anyone jumps to any conclusions, this has nothing to do with NX. And why is for New York. But when is NZ version coming? Um, or Australia? Yeah. It was confirmed. I read it on the internet somewhere. It's uh, Zygarde's next form. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Zygarde turns into New Zealand. <laughs> um, the remolded store, though, will feature several new Wii U and 3DS demo stations and a 15-foot gaming screen. And Nintendo will be holding a grand reopening celebration with giveaways, exclusive, you know, limited edition merchandising swag, and more stuff like that to mark to mark the occasion. Um, I've heard some people chattering about how maybe the fact that they're rebranding the, uh, the hub location Nintendo and why could mean that they're opening more Nintendo stores. Mm. Oh, they should. And I was going to say they should, because if they're planning on making Ninten the Nintendo part of their brand more prominent with, uh, their new platform, which based on what we've seen at retail stores so far, seems to be the mm -hmm. case uh it would be good to have their own stores and their own retail presence uh also kind of as yeah. an anecdote they've been pretty aggressively hiring salespeople lately um more more aggressively than i'm used to seeing mm -hmm. i don't know if that'll amount to anything since they're not really hiring in more cities than they normally do but um that's something worth watching i think yeah nice yeah, I would certainly agree, especially as they're making so many comparisons of themselves to Apple and the way that Apple iterates on, you know, a new version of the iPhone every year or, uh, you know, even just the ways that they're doing something different in the gaming industry than, you know, the people like Sony and Microsoft are doing. You know, Nintendo has really, I think, been looking to Apple and, and their successes in the tech space and the marketing space and, and saying we could stand to do something similar and not make, you know, a urban apple store sort of vibe but you know do their own thing make it you know fun and nintendo and uplifting uh make it kind of like a wonka's chocolate factory but you know obviously for video games and, and really making that spirit known yeah no it's a it's it's a really interesting strategy that i do hope they pursue especially since lately it seems like we've been seeing their their retail presence at the traditional stores like walmart's and targets kind of diminish 
Um, mm-hmm. And this would be a good opportunity for them to have that kind of big, bold, uh, very Nintendo controlled yeah. retail space. Yacht Club Games recently had two of its top guys appear on the 8-4 Play podcast, where we learned a little bit more about uh, Shovel Knight and Yacht Club. Uh, Yacht Club said they tried to make a mobile platformer before thinking up Shovel Knight, and for a while they were trying to incorporate a customizable AI partner into Shovel Knight as one of the amiibo features, kind of like how they do it in Smash. But what I think you'll all find a lot more interesting is that they basically confirmed that Shovel Knight's going to continue as a series. Uh, They said it would be silly not to make Shovel Knight 2. They talked about taking the series forward with a 16-bit sequel, kind of like Shovel Knight's Mega Man X moment. Uh, And they say that they'd love to make a 3D platformer that scratches the Mario 64 itch as opposed to like the Banjo-Kazooie itch with, you know, collect-a-thon versus a sort of mission-based adventure. Yeah, you know, this is is an indie game that really just took everybody by storm and it exceeded all sales expectations and then you saw everyone wanted a piece of it. You know, it it came to Xbox with exclusive content, it came to Sony with exclusive Mm -hmm. content. So, you know, I agree with them it would be silly not to follow up the game when it has this... You know this this massive following of passionate fans mm-hmm. i love the concept that they're talking about where they might make a 16-bit sequel and then maybe they'll make a 3d platformer um mm-hmm. yeah there's just something about retro styled games where it's like okay the novelty of an eight a new 8-bit game is great but let's see what you can do with more modern tools and so sort of tracing right. the history of gaming seems like a really great way to continue a game that was really successful at being that sort of 8-bit retro styled platformer Yeah, and it's a great sort of rebirth of that kind of era where gaming was defined, yeah, by great games, but also by great characters. Um, And Shovel Knight is really this character who, who... recaptures that spirit in a time when you know a lot of the games like fallout and assassin's creed and stuff are based on you know stories and changing protagonists more so than they are on making an icon and i think seeing the birth and growth and evolution of an icon born in 2014 but still changing as he would if he was born in 1984 that's just so fascinating really yeah it really gets me nostalgic i think you know because you know, I, I grew up in a time where, you know, we were transitioning from the 16-bit era to the 64-bit era. And so, you know, I think that'd be really cool if they continue along this path. And, it, you know, it'll be just like like the comparison they used, you know, Mega Man. I, I love the Mega Man X games, for example. So, you know, even mm-hmm. more than the uh, the original 8-bit games. So I'm excited to see what they do with, uh, with 16-bit Shovel Knight, you know, if they decide to go in that direction. Because, you know, with mm-hmm. Mega Man, it really changed up what they could do in terms of level design and in terms of you know how you scale around the levels you know they they gave yeah. x all kinds of new abilities and stuff so it'd be interesting to see if they they kind of change your traversal up a little bit with shovel knight if they take it in a 16-bit direction we've been saying for a long time how the stars are aligning more and more every day for nintendo to finally release mother 3 worldwide and it looks like a lot of others are gaining hope as well Fans have launched a new movement to get this game localized, and it's happening not on Facebook, not on Twitter, but on Miiverse. If you're interested, you can check out the story at Gamnesia and join in the efforts, you know, meet fellow fans. But between the Virtual Console, the fan translation, Earthbound Beginnings, Mother 3's 10th anniversary is this year. Uh, If Nintendo's not already doing it, then I would just be totally mind blown if this doesn't convince them. Well, Colin, I did retweet at you, Bill Trinan, tweeting, oh, yeah, we announced Earthbound Beginnings six months ago today. What do you think that might mean? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and uh, that's a smaller example and a more cryptic example, uh, but I was thinking of it when I was listing stuff. Yeah. There have been a lot more clues just like that, even. So it's, um, 
We'll see. But I think 2016 is the year to be hopeful. Yeah. And you can too. You can join in on Meverse, make some cool drawings. The last story that we've got for you, though, this is kind of big news, but in a surprising way, maybe. We previously heard a rumor that NST, one of Nintendo's studios, was developing a free-to-play game based around Amiibo. And out of nowhere, they announced this game in Japan just two days ago, now that you're listening. Uh, it's kind of based on the Mario and Donkey Kong minis thing that NST's been doing a lot, uh, but it's called Mini Mario and Friends Amiibo Challenge. It's focused on the minis, and it's got, you know, several of the Mario characters playable, some for the first time, and they've all got different abilities that will help you solve puzzles and platform them around. It looks a lot richer than many of the minis games before it. It's cross-platform for Wii U and 3DS, like some of their recent games have been, and it is free with compatible Amiibo. So that comes out on January 28th in Japan, we can expect it somewhat soon in North America and somewhat later than that in Europe. Um, Alex, I know you're pretty negative about this game. I kind of see some good stuff along with some bad stuff. Um, so I'm curious what your thoughts are. So after letting it stew a little, um, I think it's clear that there's nothing really like technically wrong with the game. I mean, it seems like a fine take mm -hmm. on the mini Mario formula. Uh, it's not mm -hmm. really using amiibos in a way that I find offensive, <laughs> uh, especially since we found out that the base game is free, unlike a mm -hmm. certain other game that uses amiibos in a way that's kind of offensive. <clears throat> Animal Crossing. That was subtle. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm nothing but subtle. Uh, where I take issue with the game, though, is that Nintendo's been saying for a while now, both to their customers and their shareholders, that they're planning on utilizing Amiibos in a way that makes them kind of feel like they unlock new game experiences, which is something mm -hmm. that uh, executives have said has been missing from the uh, Amiibo experiences we've gotten so far. But when I look mm -hmm. at this game, that's not really what I'm feeling. I'm just seeing another Mario vs. Donkey Kong game, but one with more playable characters, uh, with, which enables different kind of puzzles and where Amiibo are just a business model. I mean, we should expect different kind of puzzles from different uh, mini Mario games. We don't necessarily need Amiibo to make that happen. Well, the Amiibo, the characters do have different kinds of abilities, so the levels that you're unlocking are different play experiences all built within the same framework and the same formula. Um, I get what you're saying about, like, you know, Amiibo feels kind of like the payment model, but I, I think that meshes very well with what they said about unlocking new game experiences. Not necessarily for better or for worse, just, you know, they fit very well. I don't think they conflict. Yeah, I'd just say I don't know if this is a compelling enough gaming experience to uh, right. to make people want to buy extra Amiibo. Yeah, and that's sort of my, my skepticism in this. This isn't a groundbreaking new gameplay experience because Nintendo's been adding more playable characters to their games since the NES era. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. not a mashup of Nintendo by a bunch of different Nintendo characters from a bunch of different franchises, which is what I think a lot of people imagine when they think of an Amiibo game. If you scan an amiibo mm -hmm. that isn't a Mario amiibo, you don't even get that character. You get like a robot. Yeah, that was a little. I really think they should have used that opportunity to, you know, cross over basically all the amiibo that they have as characters in this yeah. game. Yeah, uh, and that that is a style that they can totally use to say, oh, hey, here's check out all these Nintendo characters in this kind of art style. Check how we've made them all, you know, work together. Right. Um, you know, Smash has a style like that. Um, other companies do that with like uh, Sonic and All-Stars Racing or uh, Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy. Yeah. Even Kingdom Hearts to some extent. Yeah. But this was another opportunity to make a different kind of aesthetic way that all the characters can fit in the same universe. Um, and I'm surprised they just didn't bother taking it. It's especially disappointing, I think, after looking at 
recent games that have used all the amiibo like mario maker like yoshi's woolly world where they didn't impact the gameplay no but they did incorporate all the characters mm-hmm. well i think that's definitely what people want from amiibo, amiibo that's what they want from their toys to life experiences they don't want this sort of half-assed not really fully implemented amiibo concept yeah i maybe think it damages what they're doing a little less than you do but i'm not sure you even really yeah, quite it's think not so that. much that i think they're, they're damaging it it's just kind of a too little too late sort of reaction right this isn't going to be a game that makes a lot of waves but it's a game that at least will be able to use the amiibo without people having to pay for the game up front which is nice too little i don't know if i'd agree with too late because you know this doesn't prevent them from making any other amiibo centric games well you know it's been more than a year since amiibo were introduced (laughs) i mean yeah yeah anyway well you know if they had had a super compelling amiibo software at launch they really wouldn't have been able to keep up with demand so yeah that's true well as always though to conclude the news segment of this week's show we're going to bring you a lightning round with little nuggets of information if you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed previously or anything you hear about in the upcoming lightning round you can check them out at gamnesia.com the latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site and on that page you'll see all these links first we've got some upcoming dates to look out for as well as recent releases A new weapon came to Splatoon, and several costumes and event courses have come to Super Mario Maker, including one made by Southwest Airlines, and costumes for Daisy and even the pigeon from the instruction manual. HAL Labs launched a sequel to Box Boy on the 3DS eShop in Japan, while three light gun games and Metroid Zero Mission are now available on the Wii U eShop in North America. So glad Zero Mission's finally out. Yeah, that's nice. January 15th, the next North American Splatfest, asks if you'd rather travel to the past or the future, so that starts this Friday. Uh, That's also the day that apparently a new Pokémon Fighter is going to be announced. And Monster Hunter X is getting Square Enix DLC on that day, followed by Mega Man DLC in February. January 18th, select Australian retailers start distributing Hoopa to Pokémon players, ending the 29th. January 19th, Nintendo World is closing for renovations, opening back up on February 19th. January 22nd, Lucas and several Animal Crossing Amiibo launch in the US, and you can pre-order them now at Best Buy. That day is also the North American launch of Mario & Luigi Paper Jam. February 9th, the first three Pokemon movies are coming to Blu-ray in one collection. And March 18th, the 3DS version of Mario & Sonic Rio launches in North America. Then we got a few general facts from last week and reminders for you. The creator of Mario Maker's hardest level ever has made a stage for everyone to enjoy. It's an easier one, so you can check that out if you're interested. Smash Bros. beat Batman, GTA, and more to claim the People's Choice Award for Favorite Video Game. DKC's character designer, who reinvented the modern Kong family, is now working at Platonic Games for ukulele. Platinum wants to make using the gamepad more fun in Star Fox Zero. And a modder started work porting Undertale to 3DS, so we'll see how this advances. Bandai Namco is making a Pokemon game for Japanese arcades. An impressive new Super Mario Bros. Wii hack resurfaced after two years, so that's still in development. Satoru Iwata will be honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award from the DICE Awards. Nintendo has partnered with Genesis 3, a leading organization in competitive Smash. And the creator of Oculus Rift says that the Virtual Boy set VR technology way back. A new line of Mario-themed Happy Meal toys are coming to McDonald's in Japan. There's an awesome, fully posable action figure of Link coming soon with tons of accessories. You should check that out and pre-order it if you want. Looks super cool. Uh, Famitsu is making two new manga series based on Splatoon. Mega Man is getting officially licensed headphones soon. And Rare wanted to make toys that were basically just Amiibo way back in the N64 day. 
<gasps> Banjo-Kazooie Amiibo, come on. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, Nintendo is selling refurbished 2DS for $60. Really great price. If you don't have a 3DS, you should definitely try to shoot for that because that's what? A game in 10 bucks? <laughs> it's pretty cheap. It's a full game on, you know, home consoles. Uh, and Amazon Prime members can now get 20% off of new video games. A fan made a super impressive custom amiibo of Surfing Pikachu. Hackers ported a playable version of Pokemon Emerald and more to PS4. A modder is creating a stage editor for you to make your very own stages in Splatoon. Awesome Games Done Quick raised over $1.2 million this year. And Nintendo made an official Tumblr account. So if that's your social medium of choice, you can show your love and follow them there. So, this marks the end of our news segment for this week, but we're gonna take a quick break with Bulby's version of the Pokemon X and Y trainer battle theme. You can hear it in the background there. But we'll be right back in a moment with round two of the Mystery House feature we started last week. Stick around. Everybody and welcome back to Nintendo Week. I'm your host Colin McIsaac, and I'm joined by Alex Plant. I am in the mystery house. And Ben Lamoureux. I want to solve that mystery. <laughs> Hi. Uh. S- what? Hi. <laughs> so, uh, we're here again with the mystery house, answering more listener questions. If you have your own, please remember to send them in to colinicamnesia.com. C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. We'd love to hear from you, talk to you, and have more great questions, of course, in future mystery houses. So. If you remember from last week's episode, I had to cut two questions out of the end there. So we'll pick up with our responses to those right here. So someone emailed us and asked to be called Mayor Dump when I introduce him. So there you go, Mayor. Um, He asks, how do you guys think Nintendo can follow up some of their biggest franchises in the future? I have a hard time imagining how they'll add on to franchises like Smash Bros, Mario Kart, and Splatoon, because in the case of those franchises, their newest game is just about perfect. Your thoughts? Well, I don't really know how they can expand Smash Bros. too much more, and you guys know that I'm a heathen and haven't really played much Splatoon, but um, when it comes to Mario Kart, make it Nintendo Kart. I mean, come on, just open it up, have all kinds of different variations in your tracks and your items and your, your you know playable characters. There's just so much potential for them to open up that racing genre and do a lot more creative things with it. Yes, please. Oh my god, yeah, that's, I mean, that is the sort of big thing for Mario Kart that we've talked about before, too. Yeah, you know, they're, they're dipping their toes in the water right now with, you know, Zelda stuff and F-Zero stuff and Animal Crossing stuff, so I, I just love to see them go nuts with it. Yeah, um... Yeah. I'm I'm personally less hugely positive on the idea of a Nintendo Kart, but definitely I would agree with the sentiment that what Mario Kart needs to stay fresh is fresh content. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean more Nintendo franchises, but it certainly does mean things that we haven't seen before. In particular, things that we haven't seen in Mario before, since that's always been kind of the spirit of Mario Kart mm-hmm. uh, as the series has evolved anyway. Um so, uh, yeah, definitely more and more diverse content. Yeah, and I think they could also do a little better from a gameplay perspective, too, in terms of diversifying the cart selection parts and their driving stats so that you don't have to choose between a character that you like and a cart that you like driving. Mm-hmm. 
because the weight classes can totally change how a cart feels too. Like for me, I like playing as Waluigi and Toad, but I'm not very good in either of those weight classes. Um, I'm way more comfortable with Yoshi and Link. So, you know, I'd like to not have to struggle with that choice every time I play. And then there's the half-assed character roster, which we've talked about a million times on the show. Um, and the obvious one, the Nintendo crossovers, which we just talked about. Um, some of their biggest franchises you're asking about, I think the answer's obvious. A new Mario Galaxy, um, make any Metroid game, like, at all. <laughs> Federation Force. That's not a Metroid game. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but they do definitely have, um, these more multiplayer-driven franchises that you've mentioned, where the formula seems so solid that it's really hard to think of anything that can revolutionize them, because they're just so well-refined, gameplay-wise. As for specific things they could add, I think Splatoon would really benefit from more robust offline modes. Local multiplayer is really pretty bad right now. Um, and even though the story mode is really short, I think it was one of the highlights of the game for me. So I'd love to see them expand on that, because I, I think it does have the potential to stand head-to-head -head with some of Nintendo's best single-player games in terms of its story and its lore. Um, obviously the gameplay, but that's already been proven. But Splatoon could definitely expand itself in that sense. Yeah, I think you hit on a really good point when you said that the, the gameplay in a lot of these franchises is so refined and polished that, of course, it will be more polished in, in whatever ways it can be. But that's mm -hmm. not really the area of focus that, that these franchises need. What, yeah. I think what they really need in general is, like I said, with Mario Kart, more content. Yeah. Uh, Zelda, we, we've been exploring the forests and volcanoes and deserts over and over and over again, and maybe it's time for something new. I know they try to freshen it up a little bit, like the desert in Skyward Sword had all this like ancient technology, but I think people are yearning for something a little bit more different, more exotic, uh, something that we truly haven't seen before or haven't imagined before, or that hasn't even been done in a fantasy setting before. Or at least something that's that's really modernizing those kinds of concepts into, you know, more, more modern uh, gameplay design sort of... Uh um, ideals like yeah. you know, open world. You know, Zelda hasn't had a truly open world yet. Um, yeah, to a lot of and these the, things. and the dungeons in particular have kind of fallen into a certain kind of pattern. Yeah, um, yeah. And There's be, always uh, the I'd forest the temple, the fire break. temple, the water temple. Right. Um, yeah. As for Smash, I just have way too many ideas uh, that could take up a whole episode. <laughs> we'll surely talk about it all one day, but for now, that'll have to wait. Uh, maybe, maybe you two could speak to that one though bit more more uh in control of yourselves i than just I want could. a <laughs> classic tournament mode back man that's that's all i'm asking for. yeah melee adventure mode yeah, another thing i was really kind of disappointed by a lot of the new stages in the new one i mean a lot of them were great but a lot of them were not so great and then the fact that on top of kind of this sort of middle ground quality for the new stages the, that were so many old stages i i just love to see more new stages and, mm -hmm. and better quality and more even quality Across yeah, those. I do agree with that, although I think looking back on the stages in all the other games, they really have never been any better than they are in this one. Um, on the whole, obviously there are some great standout stages that are amazing, and those are the ones you always remember. But, um, you know, the whole quality of the stages I don't think has ever, you know... Well, yeah, even Melee had Poke Particularly floats. amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, Melee had Poke Floats. It had... There were some pretty crappy stages in melee and uh, 64 some... probably was the best honestly in terms of i think that's because it had the smallest roster in, though too in terms of the quality the being ones. very pretty pretty even right right yeah um but uh, yeah i mean brawl had 75m it had electroplankton like ew some of which returned in smash 4 
Yeah, that. <laughs> like, let's not talk about that. I turned it off on random toggle, so that's not there as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I think they're doing a great job with characters, but the the direction that they've gone with stages hasn't been, for me anyway, on a particularly positive trajectory. Mm-hmm. You know, agreed. And I think that's underlined by the fact that there are so few satisfying game modes, like you guys were saying. So Robert Howtrier asks, what do you guys think about Fire Emblem getting six representatives in Smash Bros when Intelligent Systems Wars franchise has zero representation and has been around just as long? Uh, My answer, I feel like Wars is really in the same place as Golden Sun here. It's been around way longer than Golden Sun, obviously, but it's never really been very popular. So I'm I'm really not at all surprised or bitter that it doesn't have any characters. Um, Six Fire Emblem reps is still pushing the line for sure with uh smash um sakurai agrees um <laughs> we've already talked about that um so uh, yeah i mean that's it's an interesting comparison you bring up for sure but fire emblem is definitely way more relevant to nintendo you know that's like not even a question at this point so uh. i think a lot of it also has to do with smash bros being a game that's about mascot characters and yeah. while there are a couple standout characters in wars that i think people might recognize it that's not really sort of what people took away from that game there is a character named colin though (laughs) and i'm really hoping that if they choose a wars character and they choose a golden sun character then i can spell my complete name with characters that are playable in super smash bros colin mac isaac (laughs) here we go (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah you know i i don't really play any of the fire emblem characters in smash i've dabbled with ike a little bit and i've tried out the other ones but with the exception of ike i'm I'm pretty much garbage as most of them so i can't say that i'm thrilled about there being six representatives in smash bros but you know i've I've got 58 characters to choose from and i've got a dozen you know that i use pretty regularly so i can't really be too bitter about it if there's other people Mm -hmm. out there you know enjoying uh you know roy or looking forward to corin right well, if you're not good with Marth, that does knock out half the options for yeah, you. I know, so right? <laughs> it's not exactly a fair, so but yeah. All right. And we're back from the past there. Uh, just two questions out of the way. And now we're going to tackle this week's questions. So first up is a question from Caden Renz. I'm sorry. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, who asks, how do you feel about the resurrection of Rare Amiibo? I love it because I got a little Mac out of it. But do you think Nintendo should make more of certain figures and fewer of others? They should make fewer Dr. Marios. And (laughs) um, what do I want them to make more of? Pretty much everyone that's not from the Mario series. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I would most of all love them to see expand. Well, expand the Mario series, I think, uh, is probably what I'd be happiest to see. That's because Colin wants a Waluigi amiibo. Well, Waluigi, I mean, Egad, Toadette, like, there's so many awesome characters in Mario 2 that would be great to see. Birdo. (laughs) Maybe. But, um, you know, I think, you know, characters like Ice Climbers or, um, you know, the Star Fox characters, the Zelda characters, there could be some really cool stuff there. Um, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on this, but that is what I'd like. Yeah, I'm not a, an avid Amiibo collector here, but I'm glad to see that Nintendo's been doing a much better job at keeping them stocked lately, because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people, it's just been driving them nuts trying to collect their favorite characters. Yeah. Uh, he also asks, then, should we get a Mercedes-Benz Amiibo? You know, I have to say, I have never really understood that partnership. 
I, I don't know why Mercedes-Benz keeps teaming up with Nintendo. I mean, it's fine. We get free content in their games. I guess I... But now um, the Amiibo is the perfect opportunity <laughs> to show the exclusive because wonderful new ideas that Mercedes-Benz can bring. It's, it's <laughs> going to culminate with you being able to use your Amiibo to turn on your car. Ooh. Oh, I was going to say you could actually drive an Amiibo, but oh, yeah, that, that works that too. I'd, I'd much rather squeeze into a little tiny Mercedes-Benz Amiibo and... Get on the highway. What's that guy I, doing over there? I can't imagine there would be too much of a market for it. <laughs> but there's me, and that's what matters. Yeah, the, just the <laughs> hardcore collectors. Second question, also from Caden Renz, though. Uh, do you think Nintendo should make more games for their unsung heroes, like Punch-Out, Kirby, and Nintendogs? Uh, and do we need a Waluigi game? Initial thoughts are, I think Nintendo makes plenty of Kirby games. Kirby, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think in general, though, Nintendo needs to create more characters who will eventually become unsung heroes when they're overshadowed by the other brands Nintendo wants to push. No, I'm just kidding. Well, that's um, how, I mean, that actually gets at a lot of what I was about to say, but you finish up first real quick. But that's interesting that you say that. I, I do think when Nintendo has new game ideas, they should be using franchises that aren't their kingpins like Mario and Zelda, uh, those two in particular. Um, because first of all, those brands are so beloved and so tight that they don't need a lot of messing with. Mm -hmm. And second of all, these new game ideas, I feel like could make much better franchises than they do one-off little ideas, Mm -hmm. uh, for Nintendo's existing IP. Um, for example, could you imagine if Wind Waker had become its own full-blown IP? Um, it could still be going today changing you know the way that zelda looked yeah then they could have two really popular and it wouldn't have as much resting on its shoulders as the zelda series does because it would have been their little secondary adventure game ip right but yeah i mean i i totally agree i absolutely think they should make more unsung hero games um and the good news is i think we're really well positioned for projects like those in the future um as you know nintendo carries out their mobile plans and as they deviate more and more uh from only making triple a titles I think one of the biggest reasons that we saw franchises like Punch-Out, F-Zero, and others fade away is that the costs of game development are skyrocketing in the AAA world. Uh, They have been for a while, and when that happens, you see AAA studios like Nintendo taking fewer financial risks, uh, making moves to make their games more profitable, like a lot of companies are doing with, uh, you know, uh, re-releases and DLC and microtransactions. And in Nintendo's case, though, trimming off a lot of those weird, fun titles that they made on the sides to focus on Mario, Pokemon, and their other best-selling brands. So that sort of double-A space was dying for a while, and taking along with it Nintendo's opportunities to do what they do best, um, or maybe not best, but certainly what they do very well, which is just being creative and not needing to worry too much uh, about anything. But the good news is, meanwhile, the mobile space, and increasingly the console space too, is being redefined now by smaller games that are, you know, either creative on a low budget, like your Undertales, or crazy polished games that take a super simple concept and just blow it out of the water visually, uh, you know, like your Rocket Leagues. And all the while, digital storefronts like Steam and even Nintendo's eShop are redefining that expectation that all games should be sold at a premium price. So. I think Nintendo sees some encouragement here and an opportunity here to make games that aren't bound by AAA expectations anymore. And I think that as they embrace this attitude more and more, then they'll start to realize that they no longer need to cling on to their most successful franchises. Um, And with so many options for the kinds of games that can be successful these days, 
you know, remasters, remakes, mobile games, double A, triple A, retro throwbacks, whatever the f*** else. <laughs> There's so much they can do. And so there, I think we're going to see a lot more from franchises like, yes, your Punch-Outs, your F-Zero, Nintendogs, even retro reboots and a lot of new experimental stuff. So I think there's reason to be hopeful. Yeah, you know, I, I've never really understood the mentality that a, a game has to be like a, a freemium game or a $60 game. You know, there's such a wide range in between. And, you know, with Nintendo in recent years really pushing their digital stores more and offering, di offering digital promotions, you know, with Nintendo account in Japan, they're giving people 10% back. And they did mm -hmm. something similar at the launch of Wii U and things like that. So I think, you know, for these these franchises that Nintendo doesn't want to spend, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars dumping into them, AAA, you know, game uh, with a big marketing budget and a physical release, you know, I, they can take some of these these smaller franchises and make them digital exclusives at you know yep. reasonable price tags. And you know, we've seen we've seen them sort of experiment with some games at lower price tags, like Captain Toad Treasure Tracker at forty mm -hmm. bucks and things like that. Kirby and the Rainbow Curse. I mean, there's mm -hmm. been a lot of stuff that they've been releasing at lower prices. Yeah, and I, I think that's something Nintendo needs to keep pushing. And for me mm -hmm. personally, one one game that I think would be perfect for that is just uh, a classic two D Metroid. Yeah, because you know it's it's been over a decade since we had a 2D Metroid and you know when you when you see indie games like Axiom Verge where you know one guy made that with a shoestring budget just you know working nights and weekends like <laughs> there's no reason that Nintendo you know couldn't throw together a very high quality classic 2D Metroid game at a, a very cheap price point. Yeah and I mean people are loving indie games like those that have you know very retro inspired graphics too so there's no reason that Nintendo would need to make anything 3D or anything stunning just you know a 16-bit graphic Metroid made today would still be super it might even be more popular than anything else you could make with that series. Yeah I, I also like Ben that you brought up Captain Toad because there's a, sort of this mm -hmm. second layer to this question which is like is it really worth it to kind of make these games for these smaller characters like like Waluigi or Captain yes, Toad? Yes, stop that right now. It is. <laughs> and, well, what I'm going to say to that is, <laughs> yes, however, Nintendo needs to get into a position where their IP from which they're drawing these characters are healthy enough and popular enough that yeah. it's really worth it to kind of pursue giving these characters the spotlight. So they right. need, you know, for example, 3D World needed to be a game that sold pretty well on Wii U before they could make a Captain Toad game. Uh, likewise for, for Waluigi, uh, like Wario got his own franchise because, uh, the Game Boy Mario games were actually pretty popular and, and Wario was actually pretty popular. And so it mm -hmm. was not so far-fetched that a Wario would get his own game. Yeah. I mean, Yoshi, like you look at all these things and they're results of super popular characters, uh, because Mario itself was so popular and then people get attached to the characters as on the side and then like to see those spin off. Um, but yeah, when, when you're spinning off characters from Wii U games specifically, you know, which are not selling well, it's not the same. No. And, you know, the Captain Toad series might be as creative and as worth existing as, you know, Yoshi's Island or Wario World or Wario Land. Um, it is. But it's not. It, no, it totally is. But, it's <laughs> you know, Alex is right that the timing is not the same at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Robert Howtrier asks, what Nintendo franchises would you like to see get some representation in Smash Bros. that don't have it already? Like Golden Sun, Custom Robo, Advance Wars, Sin and Punishment, Chibi-Robo, etc. Um, my answer is, besides Splatoon, you kind of hit all the big ones for me. Um, I would also add Murasame Castle for Takamaru, and I'd love to see Star Tropics represented in Smash. Uh, some smaller stuff could be cool, like Dylan or Harmonite. But I mean, yeah, I mean, those series are really the ones that I think Smash is missing. Yeah, I'm pretty much along the same lines. You know, I, I think it's 
kind of a shame that Golden Sun doesn't get any representation, but like we've discussed before, you know, I understand Nintendo's reasons. It's not a super relevant game anymore, and it was right. never a super big seller, but it's it's got such a, you know, a passionate, if not you know, small fan base that, you know, it'd be great to see them, you know, rewarded for their loyalty. Yeah. Uh, I really think it's a shame they didn't add Ray from Custom Roboto Smash 4, though, uh, by the way. Because that, that would have been just the perfect way to announce that whole custom fighters thing. I mean, custom moves would still be a perfect fit if they ever add Ray in the future. Um, but they just missed such a great announcement opportunity to say, hey, oh, hey, by the way, you know, uh, custom Robo, Ray's not going to lose out on any of those awesome things just because he's coming to Smash Bros. Actually, he's bringing that entire idea to the rest of the cast. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, moment's gone, right? Well, yeah, totally. I'm just, I'm just explaining why. In Colin's perfect little world. It makes so much more sense. Polytana didn't make any sense. It does, it does. I'm just messing. No, I know. You're, I don't know. Yeah. I think as far as franchises go, most of the, the ones that really need to be in are already there, uh, kind of like mm-hmm. we've been saying. Uh, one thing that I would like to see is the sort of default representations we've gotten for a lot of franchises. Like, for example, Zelda seems to lean a lot on Twilight Princess. Uh, Metroid has was leaning on Super Metroid. Now it's at other M. Uh, there's a lot sort of in between there that doesn't really get represented in in the way the series characters uh, you know are, are articulated. Uh, for example, mm-hmm. we never really got a prime version of Samus. Uh, having more classic representations of Zelda would be kind of cool. Um, you know, Twilight Princess's moment is kind of gone. Yeah. Characters from Fire Emblem that aren't from new games, but maybe, you know, like Lynn, for example, that that people aren't as familiar with, but could get them into the older Fire Emblem games. Like there's a a wide open uh, Mm -hmm. sort of palette of Nintendo characters. Uh, and representations of Nintendo characters that haven't been drawn on for Smash. Yeah, I think that's one of the big like fan service elements uh, for sure that I think Smash is sort of falling behind on um, is, yeah, representing characters in other ways that people really like um, or even representing different characters in original ways. So like, um, and I guess I just go to the example of Project M here because this is, does a great job in exemplifying that kind of fan service that it, can, that it can provide. But you can give, like, Bowser a dry Bowser skin. Luigi gets Mr. L. Um, you know, you can give Link his Ocarina of Time costume, Twilight Princess costume, and his Hyrule Warriors costume. And, you know, be able to use all those different things and appease lots of different fans uh, while at the same time. You're not doing too much to expand the game itself, but you're expanding very greatly the enjoyment that longtime Nintendo fans can get out of the game. Exactly. Our final question, though, is from Aaron Troy. All your talk of Smash Bros. on this show has led me to a conclusion that Smash 4 has a distinct identity as the Smash game that makes the crossover characters of our dreams come true. What if the next Smash is the truly Nintendo Smash? We lose some of the third-party characters, and we have new ones such as K. Rule, Ridley, uh, Inklings, Tingle, and maybe, dare I say it, Waluigi. <laughs> um, this could be how they top Smash 4 and would serve as a great introduction to Nintendo for all the new NX users. Thoughts? Yeah, I'm fine with, you know, most of the characters he said he'd like to uh, to add in, but I, I don't think there's really any need to shirk third-party support in order to, you know, give it a, a Nintendo feel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I also don't feel like there's going to be a 
a, a whole lot of non-Nintendo fans rushing out to buy NX early on. So, you know, I feel like, if anything, having strong third-party support in an, in an NX Smash game would be even more important. Just because you, you, you with NX, they want to expand past that just sort of core Nintendo audience and t- to attract more people from, from sort of other backgrounds. Oh, and in particular, they need to look beyond third-party retro characters and really look at modern, current third-party characters. Yeah, and speaking, too, to just the aspect of cutting characters that are already represented as third parties, I really don't think they need to get rid of any characters in order to make the next Smash a Nintendo-centric event. Um, You know, Smash has a lot of trouble that comes along with cutting characters, and especially when the roster is getting so huge the way it is right now, uh, and getting such popular crossovers like these, you know, there's really no way that they'd be able to get away with downsizing the Smash family more than one or two characters. Um, But what they can do is build the next Smash game almost entirely on top of Smash 4. Uh, You know, keep the balancing, keep the mechanics, and just add new content. Uh, Maybe tweak the menus around to give it, you know, its own flavor. But Add a tournament mode. (laughs) That's that's a good example. But, you know, this would open up a lot of, like, development resources to focus on including these Nintendo-centric characters that the Nintendo fans would want to see, but aren't popular enough in the mainstream to sell very much DLC. Uh, that I think is a big part of why we got Ryu and Cloud instead of K. Rule and Isaac. But uh, yeah, so I do hope they go guns blazing on that Nintendo fan service uh, and dedicated content like that for the next Smash. But I would never want to see them sacrifice uh, any unique existing characters, especially as you guys said, you know, in a time when third party support is important. And in fact, I'm looking forward to seeing them expand some of that DLC content in future games and, you know, give Street Fighter and Final Fantasy as much attention as they did with like Mega Man and Sonic. Yeah, I'm I'm with both of you in terms of I don't think they need to collapse the third-party roster. Uh, one thing that I think they could do is kind of merge some of these clone characters in with other characters. Like, for example, Lucina could live on a as skin. A, a skin for Marth. She doesn't yeah. have to be a unique character. Same yeah, with like Dark Alf. Pit. Same, oh, right, like Alf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need a lot of these sort of second-string clone characters. Um, but at the same time, they don't necessarily need to go away. Right, and that's also an opportunity for a lot of other second-string clone characters to come up, like, for example, uh, yeah, Dry Bowser and, and Mr. L earlier, which I guess they're kind of counterparts, but, like, Mock Rider could easily be a Captain Falcon costume. Captain Rainbow could be a Captain Falcon costume. Like, there are a lot of characters that they can bring in and represent without, you know, having to give the full dedicated Smash treatment. Yeah. Part of me has a little bit of trouble with that, too, especially, you know, if we're talking about, like, crossing series like Captain Rainbow and F-Zero. Um, Captain Rainbow is maybe better fit for a clone. But yeah, characters like a lot of Fire Emblem characters could be represented as skins. Um, and we'd get in, you know, characters like Sigurd and Ephraim and, you know, all these other guys that people who like Fire Emblem like, but would never ever deserve to be their own uh, unique playstyle. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of opportunities. Um, like Mega Man X skin, maybe. Like if there's Toad playable, you know, get Captain Toad, get Toadsworth, get Toadette. Right. Yeah, suffice yeah. to say there is a lot of room to trim fat, but I don't think uh, trimming out any unique sort of character playstyle is the, is the answer for Smash. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear what you guys have to say. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, please send it to colinicamnesia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac. That's C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. 
And remember to send in your questions about Nintendo, about our show. We love engaging with you guys and we read them and talk about them here on the show during these Mystery House segments like we just held, so it is a great way to get involved. Again, that's Colin at Gemnesia.com and at Colin McIsaac. And Alex, they can find you on Twitter as well? Yes, you can find me at Legend of Lex. If you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. On our way out, please enjoy Bullet for My Piloswine, a remix of the 225 root theme from Diamond and Pearl by a few great artists from the OC Remix community. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we hope you have a great week. I'm gonna go to the bathroom real quick. I guess Colin's ditching us.